Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R.com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favorite ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So, Go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Excellent. Fantastic. Wonderful. Friday. I've got a new new nickname for you. You're what is it? A, what is it? You're a superhero, and your name is Captain Fantastic. I love it. All right. Take that as a big compliment. We're going Thank with you. we're going with that now. Great. So I'm in. When we introduce the show from here on out, it's Frontline Friday with me and my very special guest, Captain, Captain Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> I like it. We're right now. We're in a uh, WeWork space in Boston, and shit mm. is not the most common name. As you know, what, what and is there's my name, Captain Fantastic, oh, also known as Bridget. Bridget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is not the most common. There's oh. another Bridget who runs uh, the WeWork space. So I have claimed. I was going to say it was granted to me, but I think I probably grabbed it more than it was granted. 
they call me, my team and other people in WeWork, QB1. Queen, Queen, Queen B1, and she's QB2. Ah, ah. So Captain Fantastic. I that's, like that better than, than, than Queen B. QB1. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. QB1. Captain Fantastic works though too. <laughs> God, gonna... I sound like, I sound so narcissistic. I hope I'm really not. Uh, you don't strike me as being, as long as I've known you. you I don't think that's one of your traits. I hope not. <laughs> You could be changing. Anyway. You could be changing. Anyway. I mean, if everybody like curtsies when they come into your office because you are the queen, then or if you're demanding if you demand that they curtsy, that That's the problem. That could be. That's the problem. Or when you have your next staff meeting, if you force everyone to say what a pleasure it is to work for you. Then that that would be an issue as well. Okay, good. I'm I'll 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 go do like just a quick uh narcissism definition check right. and just like right. do a personality assessment just turn on the tv that's all you need to know all right so <sighs> let's let's yeah. talk about quota quota yes now, now Roy, the, the question is is quota even still relevant as a measure of performance and i bring this up because we've all seen the research and and i was preparing to interview a guest on the show this week who's written a new book about sales. And at one point in the book, there's uh, he's talking about this issue about the fact that comparatively few sales reps or individual sales contributors actually make quota. And he cites, oh gosh, three or four research reports that one case, uh, anywhere from 40 to 60% of reps, according to these three research reports from reputable uh, researcher firms, you know, corporate executive board, CEB, CSO Insights, the task group. And that includes anecdotal stories from uh, CEOs that are clients of his and otherwise that saying, you know, from 75 to 80% of the reps are not making quota. And I thought, well, okay. This is, this is nuts, right? If, if we're in an environment in the business to business sales where let's say roughly 40 to 80% you know, of reps aren't making quota, then, then quota is just not relevant anymore. And it speaks to a lot of different potential problems. One is obviously the performance of the, the sales reps themselves, but also you know, how quota is set and established. You know, is there any science behind it or is it just, you know, hey, the corporate team, executive team got together and said, yeah, let's raise quotas 30% this year. Uh, which happens in a large percentage of the cases. Yeah. There's not much science to it. So I thought it really becomes self-defeating for reasons that we can get into. It's self-defeating if, if we continue down this path where it's basically we set up the system so that really no one but you know a small percentage of the top performers are actually hitting the number, then what value does it have? And is there something else we could do instead that would help improve the performance across a broader swath of the sales team? Well, I think just my knee-jerk reaction 
I have a lot of them. My knees are jerking all over the place. Okay. Thanks, well, thankfully, I only have two of them. Yeah, but, that's, but, that's why I love to pose these questions to you. I know because I, I typically have big, strong reactions. Mm-hmm. You can agree or disagree, but I definitely have a, 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 reactions and opinions. So I, I think quotas are important because I think goals are important. Um, I, I think we, I'm trying to think about a study. I don't remember where it was that I read. It was a year or so back about if you, you get people who are highly physically in great condition, highly trained. I think these are, let's say Navy SEALs Mm -hmm. and you tell one group to go run as far as they can. And you give the other group uh, a, a big distance to go. The, the, the ones who have a goal will go further. So I think goals are important. I agree so, 100%. But... Okay, so that's one. So I, I don't think we should get rid of quotas, well, number one. Well, we shouldn't get, a, get rid of goals. Whether the goals are dollar quotas is still an open question. Well, go ahead. Okay, so yeah. So I, I think we should, we should keep the goals. And for salespeople, those are typically quotas. They're typically aligned. Um. To the, to the point that you make that so many reps aren't making them, that's an issue. Like I, and I've, and I have worked with companies who sort of set the target to be 60%, 65%. And I, I think that's, um, it's an interesting philosophy and it's not one that I think is motivating or I would agree with. I think Mm -hmm. To you want reps to feel good about what they're doing. You want the the goals to be not a gimme, but they need to be achievable. And it doesn't mean you need to achieve them month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. But somebody should be to prove that they're achievable. So, but and I also think they're hard to set, Andy. I, I mean, I know that I have that issue about what's the right amount to set. I don't always know, especially in a startup when you're in a new market and it's a new product and you don't know what you can do. And there's a lot of variables that make setting quotas very difficult. Agreed. I mean, but it seems like too few companies are actually putting the effort in to try to really do it correctly, right? If we have such a big disconnect between the percentage not making it and the quotas themselves, then it's it's really time to say, look, we need to look at this differently. Because I think one of the, the key things that's not taken into account is that one of the key tenets of performance management is that you need to let people put people in positions where they experience success. Yeah, I, I because totally if, agree. Because if they experience success, then they're extremely motivated to always experience success, right? They don't want to go back. You know, we don't want to step back from what we what we had. And this is this is just part of learning in general. I mean, you you can look at the curriculum for elementary school kids and learning how to read and so on. Is is you know the teachers focus on it? Give them success experience. Yeah. And having done that, yes. then they want to keep experiencing success, and it's motivating to keep going forward. And so it seems to some degree like we're we're I don't want to say intentionally, but you know we're carelessly speaking we sales management across the board carelessly sort of disenfranchising to a certain degree 
large portions of our sales teams. Where our concern is, yeah, we want to improve productivity. I mean, everybody sort of says that serving the business of helping sales teams improve says, well, yeah, we can't really help the top performers much because they're already performing. And the bottom 10, 20%, you know, we're not really going to be helped them because we got perhaps they just shouldn't be in sales as we talked about before. But the 60, 70% of the people in the middle, wow, that's where the real growth opportunity is. Well, it's only going to be a growth opportunity if we put them in position to succeed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can't speak to, you probably can more than I can because you talk to a lot of people that, VPs of sales and people in industry and studies and stuff regarding how companies and how much companies and managers are thinking about this topic. It's on my mind a lot. In fact, earlier in the week, um, one of the founders had said, Bridget, it's really important that next quarter, all the reps meet their quota. I said, and why? Well, I didn't even say why I said, yes, that's what I think about all day long, every day. My job is to, it, I feel that it is my job to help them achieve that. Yes, they have a piece of it, mm-hmm. but I need to make them successful. That's what, that's what I, that's what I look to do each and every day. I feel grateful that I work for a company that believes that that's important also. Um, because I have worked for and with executives that don't think they should meet quota. To think if the reps are meeting quota, the quota is too low. It's a philosophy. I, I don't know where they get the other philosophy, but it's a philosophy. Yeah, I, well, I look at, <laughs> yeah, to me, it's just so counterintuitive, right? Is that you arbitrarily decide a certain number of reps should make quota. Uh, you arbitrarily decide that the, you know, the company needs to grow this amount next year. Therefore, quotas need to go up that much, that amount, as opposed to saying, hmm. Well, another way to grow is to you know, have a higher fraction of our sales reps actually meet their quota and having experienced what it feels like to make quota, to be paid commission, you know, to earn more money, then you've increased their stake in their own success. So instead of boosting quotas 30% this year, boost it 10%. And you may find you're going to get that 30% growth you want. Because you have more people contributing to the success within sales. And having brought them into the fold as, as a quote-unquote top performer, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure they continue to do that. It's almost like you and I spoke about last episode about the, you know, how bosses, when they hired new, new salespeople, always wanted to make sure they you know, made some big purchase that committed them financially so they had the motivation to, well, hey, yeah, you make more money, you got to start spending a little more money. You know, you don't want to have a lifestyle you want to you want to maintain. It's just it's just the way people operate. They have a little more money, mostly they spend it these days. So, yeah, get people experiencing that success and make a little more money. You've got them hooked. Well, let's so Andy, you and I are obviously in agreement here. Why do you suppose what's 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 the other side of the coin? Why because it, it's it's also prevalent. You and I are on the same side that we believe that reps should make money, that they feel successful, that that success starts off this chain reaction of more success. What's the argument for the other? What are we missing? Fear. 
Fear what? Fear how? I think a lot of corporate teams, when they set quotas, they fear, or they feel, let's say, pressure from CEO, pressure from board, you know, perceptions about, well, hey, you know, we're in this high growth environment. How can we be in a high growth environment if, if we're not increasing quotas that much? Um, yeah, I think sort of this, this inertia that sort of sets in about, hey, you know, quotas have to go up X percent every year. Otherwise, how are we going to grow? And I don't think there's, and I, I, I don't know if I have to look and see if anybody's done an academic study on this, but, but yeah, I don't think you're going to see a great correlation between how you set quota and, and the actual growth of the company. Because you know, if you're setting it just for so the top performers make it, you know, top performers are going to make whatever you set anyway, because that's why they're top performers. Yeah, I wonder too, um, Andy, if some of it also has to do with, in some uh, circumstances, a a misconception about salespeople and their let's say value or their contribution. Um, because I certainly have experienced and heard from executives that, you know, they just believe that the product is, it, product is so good. It basically sells itself. And so salespeople have this easy job. We're paying them too much. Mm-hmm. We hard. So there's a bit of a, a misunderstanding in terms of what the role is and maybe how hard it is. And when there's not that appreciation of the value that they're bringing, they're reluctant to pay them. So they just, they want to make the goals harder. They want to make them higher. Or they feel like it's too much. I wonder if that doesn't sometimes play into it. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely sure it does. But it calls to mind for me a, a couple episodes from my past. And I've, we've referred to it on, on the show is, is companies I worked with one, one case, the CEO. And this was one of the best, both these actually were great examples of team environment for selling team as, as not just the sellers, but sales engineers, program managers, you know, marketing, engineering, everybody working together to get, to get uh, large chunks of business is, in one instance, the CEO, he wouldn't put together goals to like six months into the year. He basically sort of waited to wow. see how, how we were doing. But, yeah, we grew and, and you know, grew the business. And you know, there's an incredible environment of trust that existed with the CEO and sales management and so on. Because, yeah, you know, everybody knew they were in it together. Uh, when when the goals finally came out, they weren't, you know, weren't they weren't these you know pie in the sky. Hey, let's do thirty percent. If we were only growing, grow ten percent, though we were growing rapidly. But it, it's you know, it's it an environment of trust, right? The, that but there were no goals. The company was growing rapidly, and and similar in another startup I was in where we we're growing very rapidly, but it required the entire company to work on you know large pieces of business we were doing yeah we didn't have we didn't have quotas but we evaluated people based on 
what they accomplished based on what we thought they should be able to accomplish. And it was it was really sort of interesting. I mean, there was expectations you laid out very clearly right. as to what we expected people to do, and it wasn't all about just closing deals. It was sometimes you know penetrating a specific market. It could be you know establishing contacts within certain accounts because. You know, this was back in a day where there weren't discover discover orgs and other tools like that. Is you know, I was sending people out to Latin America to call on really you know, multinational companies and penetrate the accounts. You know, with no <laughs> with no tools to be able to do it, right? So you know, we had other sort of benchmarks and and so on that we established for people. Not that again, we didn't look at revenue as well, but it was just one of the aspects we looked at. And, yeah, and so it, and people functioned fine and performed extremely well. So I, I don't, you know, they had goals, but they weren't always just revenue goals. And the, like I said, the company grew extremely fast. Well, I think you mentioned something really key there also was this element of trust all the way up and down mm-hmm. that facilitated that. Well, and that's to your point, right? Is, is too often you see environments where sales is perceived as the necessary evil as opposed to, you know, something that's really critical that, yeah, the product's. We can point to environments where, and the valley where you, you know, Silicon Valley is full of stories where you can sort of point to and say, yeah, you just had to show up and you're going to sell something. Because the right. And I think it's never that simple, but there were instances of that where it was pretty, it was pretty easy compared to other pioneering sales work you might have to do. But yeah, that's the rare, the rare, rare, rare instance where that happens. There aren't many companies that have had that type of traction where that type of thing happens. In most cases, you got to go out and work for it. That's right. And even if, even the ones where there's maybe a, uh, the company is known and there's already some traction, most of the time you still have to do some work to get that sale. It's not the same as the pioneering work as mm-hmm. you describe. Mm-hmm. And so you just make sure that the compensation is in line with the le- level of effort that's required to get the deal done. Exactly. Um, but you can still hit your goals there. Sure. I just think you want to make sure that they're, it's in alignment with the, just in alignment with the effort. Well, and I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think that it's one of the things more companies really need to look at is, I don't know, are they, are they, paying too much and not compensating other parts of the organization. You know, I've worked in environments where depending on the stage that the company was in is we wouldn't pay commission. Right. Because it took the entire team to sell. Yes. And so if if exactly you, if the salesperson couldn't execute the deal largely on their own, meaning the product wasn't completely standard, was still, you know, just a little bit of a shakeout stage, whatever. Why are you paying commission? Yeah, and I don't have any problem with that. I think that yeah. makes total sense. It's it's your commission is uh, hopefully at some point whatever stock or ownership position that you have in the company is worth something. And then there's also just a lot you learn when you're in a company early that will translate to better job opportunities going forward. I think working for a startup, you learn so much. Just not only the role itself, mm-hmm. but you if get you an MBA if you pay attention and if you're curious. Exactly. And Things we talked about last week. And that's, 
you know, top performers. If you're curious, if you're resilient through the ups and downs, if you stick with it. And I think that, you know, not to jump back to what we talked about last week in the previous episode, but but it sort of ties a little bit together. Is is we see the sort of rampant job hopping in sort of the SDR ranks. Um, in many cases, people are doing themselves a disservice. You know, you got to really, at a couple points in your career, you have to commit to yourself to stick through the bad times. You know, if you're uh, with an organization and think it's going south, rather than jump to something new, stick it through. And I've tell you, for my own career, that was you know, a seminal event where I was working for a company that, yeah, people were bailing. and. And I certainly had the opportunities to. I was being recruited by a bunch of other companies to go to them. And I decided to stay and achieved way more by staying. And the company you know, sort of came out on the other side. But, but you learn so much more when you have to go through the tough times as opposed to avoiding them. And it's hard. Gosh, it's, <laughs> there's such a temptation to jump to something easier. And I think it's, it's learning, like you said, how do we learn to just what's the lesson in the struggle? Because if we miss it, um, we kind of miss the boat. There's so much to learn there. Yeah. So without straying too far from, from our topic about what's really an appropriate way to, to measure people's contribution, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you have to, you have to look beyond just quota. And I think that either that or, you know, management teams have to be much more pragmatic about how they establish quotas and what it really means and are they doing everything they can to try to bring more people into that group of top performers and how you set quota specifically has a role in doing that couldn't agree more now more than sales training even you could say yep i'm gonna go train all these people and if i had the choice between investing a ton in sales training and keeping the quotas where they were and investing less in sales training, but lowering quotas to let more people experience what success feels like, I'd go for the latter all the time. Yeah, as long as, I would say that's true, as long as you're not shortchanging the reps from some of the training that's going to be so critical for them. For sure, but gosh, most companies don't even begin to do enough sales training, so. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I wish that were the case, right? That that's a whole other episode. We'll, we'll that's get a whole other episode. We'll get that one next time. We'll get that one next time. So, um, yeah, in terms of what the answers are, which we haven't really provided answers, in terms of what the alternatives are, I've, quota, obviously, one. Oh, you are going to say something? Go ahead. Well, no, I, d- I don't know that there – I don't know that if there is an answer. Well, I think there are always goals. It's just what are, what are those goals? You know, is it – Purely revenue? Is it, um, you know, depending on the stage of the company, are they more about, you know, parts of the process? Of, and, you know, are we making the right type of calls and the right type of companies, you know, to build the interest that we need? Um, you know, I think there is it, we and I have talked about productivity in the past. Are they more about, you know, how much are we sort of changing the metrics a little bit? Um, I don't know, but I, I mean, I think the first, I'm not, I know we can't, and we're not in a position to sort of overthrow overboard quota. First step is we just have to be more pragmatic about how we set quotas, be more inclusive with it. But, but 
yeah, other than that, yeah, I'd certainly be interested if anybody that's listening to this has any feedback. Um, yeah, we'd love to love to hear it. You could send an email to uh, acceleratefm at gmail.com. And yeah, let us know what you think about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great topic. We can definitely and probably should spend more time on it. It's a really, it's a really important, it's a really important topic. All right. We've exhausted it for today. Well, so, another great day. Another Andy? great day with my, my partner in crime, Captain Fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> in fact, we're going to stop identifying you as Bridget Gleason from here on in. And just Captain Fantastic. It All is. right. I'm going to have to really adopt that moniker. Yeah, I'm going to have to find an illustrator to, uh, to come To do with. that. Yes. That'd be super with my face in the center. Come up with a super superhero. So what do you prefer, a cape? Yeah, I want a cape. Okay. I definitely want a cape. All right. That's so superhero. So superhero. And, and how old do you want to be? Young. Young, okay. Young. All right. Young. <laughs> there doesn't need to be a big resemblance to me. So just okay. a, young, a young female superhero. Young female superhero. Good. Okay, with a cape. All right, I'm writing that down. With a cape. All right. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Yeah, well, I have to find an illustrator first. But again, anybody listening want to submit examples of of superheroes for drawings for consideration to include in our promotion of, of our Frontline Fridays with Captain Fantastic? We uh, we'll look at all all entrants, and you're welcome, Bridget, to 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 try as well. So, all right, Captain. Perfect. Thank you. I, oh, now we're going to need one for you, but I will respond no, to no. Captain. <laughs> no, you. I'm fine. I'll just respond as to I Captain. Am. Okay. So, uh, it's been great talking to you as always. Friends, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and subscribe to this podcast and maybe leave us a review. Captain Fantastic and I really want to know what we can do to make these episodes more valuable for you. So, until next week, this is Andy and Captain Fantastic Captain signing off. Signing <laughs> off with a cape. With a cape. Talk to you next week. All right, take care. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.